Life Happens with Pimelo Mutine on SAFM, leading the conversation. Professor Thomas Scriber, a professor of infectious disease immunology at the University of Cape Town, penned a piece. And uh, really the idea here is to us who are questioning the vaccine, those who are not sure, those who are critical, to really think carefully about this vaccine. And Prof Scriber is saying, well, you know, I, I think I will still take this vaccine. Prof, thank you so much for making the time to talk to us. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Why should we take this vaccine? I think it's a broad question, but let's start with the very a very basic uh, argument that people are making is that, you know, uh, it's been developed under in under 12 months. How can we trust this vaccine that was so rushed? Your thoughts on that? Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's a very simple um, question of benefit versus risk, mm. like it is for many decisions. Um, so if we, ha- we have to look at the risks of coronavirus disease if we get infected and of course many of us are getting infected um, and the risks of developing disease and what that looks like not only in terms of the people that that are dying which is of course extremely high but also in terms of the the severity of disease and the long-lasting effects and then we have to balance that against the risks and or benefits of uh, the vaccines and so um, the reason I penned this article is because we now have verifiable evidence in the scientific literature from three vaccine trials mm. that have been published. Um, but there are many more in the pipeline and, and those will be published soon. Mm. Um, and so I just wanted to make the point that uh, people can actually look this up. Um, and and if, if papers are published in the scientific literature, then all the evidence is there. Um, it's obviously not necessarily that accessible to mm to everyone mm-hmm. because some of the the way in which these papers are written can be uh can be very scientific and can be difficult to understand and so i thought i would sort of present a digested view of of those but but to uh, to provide the links so that people can look it up uh um because it's verifiable unlike many of the other news items and and messages that we are receiving via social media that are often not very Sure. Uh, accurate. Prof, while we have enough evidence presented in these papers, we also know that this, this virus is also, you know, um, changing quite rapidly. The different variants that we are seeing across the world uh, are a cause for concern. Are we racing against time? And to what extent do we worry about the efficacies of the current vaccines with the virus mutating as quickly as it is? Yeah, it's- that's a great question, and, and it is of concern. Um, at the moment, um, it's too early to tell whether the um, the variants that have been identified, and specifically the variant that's now circulating so quickly in, in South Africa, will in any way escape from the immune response that the vaccine induced or the vaccines would induce. Mm. Um, there are uh, there's a lot of effort going on to to answer that question. Um, and and so I, I can't answer that question at this point because mm. I don't have verifiable evidence to go on. So in making the decision to take the vaccine, what are you going on? I'm going on the, um, the, the evidence of efficacy, so i.e. How, how well do, do these vaccines protect against COVID-19 disease mm-hmm. based on the three trials that have already been published. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Um, 
for those who've read the, the articles, they will see that um, the, the two mRNA vaccines that have been published have very high levels of efficacy, mm-hmm. around 95%. Um, and the way that is measured is, is you look at the number of coronavirus cases that occur in the group that received the vaccine mm-hmm. versus the group that has received a placebo, so okay. a a non-active agent, yes. which is often something like saline, uh, so salt solution. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I present the numbers in the article, but you will see that there are many more uh, cases in those who receive the, the placebo than those that receive the vaccine. And so from that, we can calculate how well these, these, vac- these vaccines protect. And, and so the short answer is that they protect extremely well. In fact, we were quite surprised when the results started coming out. Hmm. Um, that the efficacy was so good, uh, which is excellent news. Mm. I suppose we we are shell-shocked. Africans are shell-shocked by the resistance that uh, we're seeing coming through um, from taking the vaccine. It's usually been, you know, a problem that's faced by the US, some parts of Europe and so on, where there are movements against vaccination. But it, you know, taking vaccines have worked very well for this continent. We really have done well. Are you surprised at this resistance recently uh, by Africans? Um, yes and no. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that there have been um, there has been misunderstanding and there has been skepticism about medical interventions uh, for a long time in different spheres and for different reasons. Um, and the reasons for the skepticism, um, it's not only one reason, it's a complex issue. Um, and there have also been stories where, uh, um, you know, certain medical professionals have acted poorly. Mm. Um, uh, they are very rare, but of course, people immediately jump on that and then think that, you know, the entire profession is tainted by this. Um, but also, I think largely this is this is due to the misunderstanding and, and perhaps not having access to information that is verifiable and that is easily understood uh, so that people can make an informed choice and can actually balance the benefits versus the risks. To what extent do we have to possibly have the conversations about the times when vaccines um, were not doing their jobs and where labs got it wrong? Perhaps if we have that conversation, people will understand that there isn't an agenda here that's been driven. Um, Science hasn't always gotten it right and medical practitioners and laboratories haven't always gotten it right. And that maybe this time this is this is for the good. Absolutely. I mean, most times, uh, you know, 99.9% of the time it is actually for the good. Of course, it makes much more sensational news when something goes wrong. Mm. But, but it is important that, uh, that we are all honest and that we don't hide where mistakes are made. Mm. Um, but it, it is unfortunately uh, the case that uh, bad news and also fake news travels much faster mm. than, uh, than good news, which is often perceived as boring or just not sensationalist. Mm. Um, and so we, I think in these conversations, we always have to be honest. It's always about honesty and trying to, to tell the truth as far as we can verify that with evidence. Mm. If you don't mind, Prof, I'm going to open the lines up. Uh, Our listeners always like to engage in this conversation, and I think it is important. I mean, it involves all of our lives. 011-714-2006 is the number to dial. I saw Jimmy there coming through. I think we've lost him now. But, um, Prof, 
can we maybe for us explain the distinctions between the three different vaccines that are, are that are that are available that are out there in the market? I know that they're not here, but that are available and are are now possibly the options that we have. Sure. Um, so the first two are are completely new technologies. They are mRNA vaccines, um, and uh, the way this works is. Uh, what we inject into the body is simply a genetic message mm. um, to make the body, our own cells, produce the spike protein from the coronavirus. Okay. Um, so even though we are introducing this foreign message, the, um, that kind of message is, ex- is exactly the way we produce our own proteins. Um, and so it basically is the purest form of introducing something into the body, um, so to speak. Uh, and what is so great about mRNA is that um, it doesn't live very long. It's, it's, it's uh, normally degraded or it's typically degraded quite rapidly. So it's only there long enough to produce enough of that spike protein so that the immune system can, can see that there's a foreign protein, in this case, from coronavirus present. And so the immune system is triggered and we make antibodies and we make T cells that can target that um, and so we, this is a little bit different to, for example, the Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine, where the spike protein is actually delivered inside a, or the message for the spike protein is actually delivered inside a virus, mm-hmm. uh, a virus that normally cannot infect humans. Mm-hmm. It's actually from a chimpanzee. Um, and there are very good reasons for that. And, um, and again, that virus cannot replicate in our cells. It's simply there as a vehicle to introduce and to make the spike protein in our body so that we can mount an immune response against that spike protein. So I'm going to ask you a silly question. Sure. If we now see the kind of virus that we're seeing, that is COVID-19, having evolved in the way that it has from animal to humans, why do we think that this particular virus that we're giving to humans will not evolve in a, in a manner that it will infect the human body? It can't. It cannot replicate in human cells. So it's completely attenuated. So they've taken the bits out okay. of that virus okay. that allow it to replicate. Yes. Um, so once it's injected, the only thing it can do is produce the protein, mm. Um, and then our body kind of uh, degrades it and there's nothing left. Sure. So there's no chance for that happening. Okay. And so what what then would be, uh, I don't know if this is an ethical question to ask you, but what would then be your preference? Between those? Between the two differences. Um, I would take any of them. I, uh, so it's actually more a practicality issue mm-hmm. for uh, which one we will, will become available in South Africa. The two new mRNA vaccines, are firstly much more expensive mm-hmm. uh, than the, the viral vaccine, um, but also because they are made of RNA, which very easily degrades, they have to be stored at very low temperatures. Ah, okay. And so we don't, at the moment, have sufficient facilities mm-hmm. in clinics, in pharmacies, and even for transportation to allow us to roll that vac- those vaccines out in mass. Mm. Um, although I think that there are plans underway to, to actually try and get there. Um, by contrast, the, the Oxford vaccine, the viral vector vaccine, is, is relatively cheap. It's about $3 a dose, mm-hmm. um, and it can be stored at 4 degrees Celsius, so in a normal fridge, which we already have everywhere where vaccines that are currently already available are delivered. 
so it's really very well suited to um, mm. to roll out in mass. And so for that reason, that is the first vaccine that seems to be coming to South Africa. All right. Felix, you're calling from Nelspreet. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Thank you so much for taking my call. Sure. Yeah, the principle of the, of the vaccine is found, and I don't think we should be complaining about making vaccine to combat uh, COVID-19. Uh, let me first say that I'm a medical doctor myself, mm-hmm. so and I don't see anything wrong with the vaccine. But there is a problem here. The obsession about vaccine and vaccine alone is worrisome. Because we do have chemotherapeutic agents, like ivermectin, for example, that they are now... I don't know why they are actively, actively criminalizing people who want to use ivermectin. There's nothing wrong in using the vaccine. There's adequate, equally nothing wrong with using drugs like ivermectin. So I really don't know why they are now trying to criminalize doctors like me who wants to use ivermectin. Why? I don't understand. So let, let me ask a Prof uh, to come in here. But my understanding was that um, the drug that you're referring to, Felix, was not tested on humans. Uh, no, no, that is the lie they have been propagating. Okay, let me ask. Let been, me ask Professor Scriber to come in. Let me quickly say that mm-hmm. ivermectin has been used for decades in humans. I'm originally from Nigeria, by the way, mm-hmm. and it's a drug we use very much, very, very much in river blindness, onchocerciasis. It's just that it's not being used in South Africa. Does not mean it's not being used in humans. Okay, just just don't leave, uh, uh, Felix, so that we can give uh, Professor Scriba uh, an opportunity yeah. to respond. Yeah, so I, I think I'd like to make two points. The first point is that there's there's a big difference between a preventive medical intervention like a vaccine, which is given to healthy people mm-hmm. who are not yet sick, so that they can mount an immune response that will prevent them from getting sick in the first place. And a drug that you could, you would give to someone who's already sick to try and help them overcome that sickness or cure or whatever. Um, so that's the first point. So vaccines and ivermectin would not be competing directly with each other. The one is a preventive measure. The other one is a treatment. Now, point number two is that as far as I am aware, there is not yet a published clinical trial that's properly controlled that demonstrates that ivermectin is indeed efficacious in the case of COVID-19 disease. Um, it may be that something's been published in the last day or two that I'm not aware of, but that is, that is as far as I know. And for that reason, that is usually the reason why certain treatments are not put forward because the, the evidence for those being effective is, is lacking. And so we know the example of uh, hydroxychloroquine, where we went through exactly the same issue. There was no evidence at the time, but lots of people were advocating for it. And it turned out that it was not efficacious against COVID-19. And so that's exactly what we're trying to avoid with these, uh, these different types of treatments. Felix? Hello. I, I think that is not very, very, very true. There's a lot of studies now the recent one even came out yesterday, two days ago. There's a lot of studies five months from five months ago that shows ivermectin actually prevent the, the, the transmission of COVID of coronavirus. And there's a lot of studies now. My worry is that the big pharmaceutical companies are shutting down all of these because they don't want us to use, use a cheap alternative to the to the vaccine. Because if truly ivermectin works, 
it's going to be a game changer. And all the money they spent in, uh, in producing the vaccine will go to waste. That's their fear. And that's why they are prosecuting people like him who are advocating for ivermectin. It is not true that there's a lot of studies. You can Google it yourself. There's a lot of studies. Some came out even yesterday about the efficiency of ivermectin. Okay. Uh, Professor Scriba, I mean, I don't know if you want to continue to respond to that. Um, All I will say is that I'm not aware of a properly controlled, blinded, and randomized clinical trial where uh, ivermectin versus a placebo or, or another agent were were uh, tested and published. And so I'm not aware of, of solid evidence that indeed ivermectin is efficacious against COVID-19. I know that there are, there are small studies that are not appropriately controlled that suggest that that may be the case, but I'm not aware of a rigorously performed randomized clinical trial that, that shows that. Anonymous, you're calling from Johannesburg. Thanks for holding. Hi. Uh, hello, how are you? I'm well, um, thanks. Go ahead, Anonymous. Yes, I'd like to, to also add an input on, on, on vaccine. Mm. Um, to, to most people, the reason why there's so much resistance against vaccines is, is driven by so much effort that is put behind it. So I have just a few questions. Um, is the doctor and others aware that there is a global alliance of doctors who are also advising people to be cautious on vaccines as the impacts usually are are downplayed by the industry. Uh, Number two, that with vaccines, there's usually big money driven behind it. So people who tend to gain a lot tend to push vaccines a lot more. Um, there's even recordings of people like Bill Gates going online and saying, I invested 10 billion in, in vaccines. Within two years, I made 20 billion. So, so those questions, when they go to the normal uh, people in the public, they tend to raise a lot of eyebrows. There was also a 1970 scandal with vaccines where people were injected and they are paralyzed. To this day, today, still trying to um, uh, get uh, some sort of compensation from government, and, and it's proving very hard. Um, and that uh, at some point, companies were actually given a leeway. So, so, so uh, how, how sexual is it, for example, for us as South Africans, that the law that was signed in the U.S. some time back um, saying uh, uh, pharmaceuticals cannot be sued for damages caused by vaccines. Is that also true for us as South Africans? So, so those are sort of the views I have on vaccines. Please hold. Uh, Prof. Scriba? Yeah, um, okay, so there's quite a few questions yeah. there. Maybe, maybe let me address the one about making money off vaccines. Um, vaccines are not a very lucrative business. Because you provide someone with a vaccine who's healthy and uh, with the aim of preventing that disease from happening in the long run. Most vaccines that are given to, our, that are given, uh, to children are, are not profitable at all. Um, uh, uh, in fact, giving uh, drugs to someone who has a chronic disease is much more profitable. So, of course, when, when a company or an organization develops a new product, 
for example, now with this rush to, to actually come up with interventions for coronavirus, which is, of course, a massive emergency, um, there's a lot of investment that happens to try and get there very quickly. Um, and those companies that develop those vaccines, of course, will seek to be compensated for that. They want to to uh, get that money back so because they've invested an enormous amount. Uh, um, although at the same time, it's a lot of public money that goes in, actually. So often it's public funds through various funding organizations that are put into that as well. Um, so I think if we, if we stick to coronavirus for now, um, the vaccines that are currently becoming available um, will be made available in South Africa at cost price or at a, at a, at a low price point um, where it's a balance between those companies getting some compensation for the investment they've made but versus then an enormous amount of pressure to actually get these vaccines to, to the people. And that's why there are so many negotiations ongoing. <laughs> and, um, and that's why certain countries that can pay a bit more are able to get the vaccines first because actually many countries that have the money said, okay, we will buy millions of doses. And they did that even before they knew the vaccines are efficacious. Um, so that is really what's at play. I mean, of course, there are problems in the pharmaceutical industry with profits, uh, excessive profits. And those need to be addressed. But for sure, that does not mean that it's not worth taking a vaccine against coronavirus disease, which is, I think, what we're trying to discuss here now. Yeah. Professor Scribe, I'm going to have to leave it there. We've run out of time. We'll obviously come back to this conversation, but thank you so much for your time, Professor Thomas Scribe, who's a professor of infectious disease immunology at the University of Cape Town. That brings us to 1.30. Let me go to Nandika Bukas for the latest in SABC headlines.